0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Back to School with Maz Giobrani. Today, we're talking happiness. How do you find happiness in your life? We have an expert on happiness, Dr. Elizabeth Dunn. She's a professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada. She's the author of Happy Money. She's going to be talking to us today about, number one, if you want to do great things in life, find a mentor. Find someone to mentor you to become a great person, do great things. Secondly, she's going to tell us that if you give to charity and you want to find happiness, don't just give to the charity, but give of your time. Get involved. Go there. Get your hands in there. Get involved with the charity. Number three, she's going to tell us that if you're on a group text from work that keeps pestering you, even when you go to a home, you're trying to live your life Get out of it. Get out of that group chat. Say bye-bye. Log off. Live your life. That and more. Let's go back to school with Maz Jobrani. Maz Jobrani, Hey. Jobrani Maz. Oh. Maz Jobrani,
1: Hey. Giobrani. and Brani.
0: Mazzy, mazy, Oh. Maz, 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 maz. Hey. I got a podcast. Oh. Back to school.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, thank you for tuning in once again to Back to School with Maz Jobrani. I'm here with uh, fellow student Caitlin. How are you, Caitlin?
2: Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm
0: well. Tehran?
1: Well, hello, everybody. Top of the morning to you. Mm -hmm.
0: Top of the morning to you. Guys, today it's very exciting because we are going to be talking about happiness. And I think as a parent, I'm always concerned about happiness in terms of what defines happiness because I think happiness kind of goes with success. And I think in this modern era, everybody thinks, I think for a long time, everyone's thought success means financial success. Mm -hmm. But I think we're learning more and more that that's not just the case, because you hear about a lot of people that are doing very well, and they're miserable. And so I personally continue to say in my life that I have been lucky to find what I love to do. For me, that's a big step towards my happiness. And then these other things come into play, Um, one of those things that Dr. Dunn talks about that we're going to talk about today is charity, giving. And I think as a comedian, I get asked a lot of times to get involved with different charities, and I tend to say yes a lot, Um, and I feel good whenever I've been able to get involved and actually help with those charities. So right off the bat, Caitlin, are there charities that you're involved with, or or do you give of your time?
2: This is a great opportunity, actually, to address the kitten rescue of Glendale, I've been trying to volunteer with them, Mm -hmm. truly, for months. Okay. And they keep giving me the runaround. And all I want to do is volunteer with these kittens, like baby kittens. You bottle feed them and you help rescue them and then find them uh, permanent homes. And there's one lady who keeps saying, yeah, come in for an orientation. And then I say,
1: when? And then she goes... We're awful. Just volunteers. to be fair, the and way like, you're Gah. so enthusiastic right now, I would be very about of bringing off? you in. Well. I'm they're scared of no, me. No,
0: I think maybe that they're it's it's not real, and maybe they're actually <laughs> no. eating the kittens. No.
1: no. Yes,
0: it's possible, and they don't want you to go, because oh <laughs> they know it's a satanic cult. Allegedly, it's listen, guys, this is all liable <laughs> speech. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Kitten okay.
1: rescue is real. Everything's no, real.
0: We I love want
2: them. I still want to volunteer. So, kitten rescue, if you're listening, please read. Out. Well, Caitlin, all I want to do is bottle feed these kittens. Do
0: they know that you have this this platform to tell our five listeners? Maybe, to
2: I, maybe I get should get involved. Them. Here's my podcast in which I openly drag you. Please let me be a volunteer. So,
0: Caitlin is living the life. She wants to get involved, which is what Doctor Dunn will tell us in this episode: mm-hmm. is get involved, get involved. That's beautiful. Tehran, what are you doing for charity? Here's
1: here's what I do. I am a in person giver. So. I often give money to people who need money. The oh, people in who. person. Exactly. Oh, they I thought you said in them. person. I was <laughs> like, "That's the is that something with <laughs> no, the N no, word? No, what no, are no, you talking no, about? I'm an in-person person. Per- so if I see someone who's in need, I'm the give people money. Mm. I do... Events, things of that nature. There is not one specific charity which I am the most fond of. You walk around with cash. I do actually.
0: So if anybody wants to rob Tehran, <laughs> find him <laughs> on the streets of, of where do you live again? You, like you
1: say that. However, there is. <laughs> if you look in my console right now, there is a wad of cash where you you would be like everyone who sees it is like, bro, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is what I
0: give every month to great. people. You are now a target for the Armenian Ar- 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 <laughs> Ar- mm-hmm. Armenian mob uh, mm-hmm. uh, listeners. Who listen to this episode, bro? Find Tehran. He has a car <laughs> with cash in it. We love Armenians. <laughs> I love Armenians. Listen, here's the point: is I think a lot of people, we all in our lives, are looking for happiness, and sometimes we get caught up. She actually will talk about this as well. Doctor Dunn is talking about um, managing your time. I think people get caught up in this thing of like, I'm too busy to help out any. I can I can't help these charities because I'm too busy. I can't make time for exercise. I'm too busy. Uh, I can't uh, can't put away my phone. I got to get work done. But Dr. Dunn, pun intended, she gets it done because she (laughs) says, put away your stupid phone, find a charity, get involved, go do your exercise, and all this will lead to more happiness. And I can tell you firsthand, people, that whenever I've had a chance to do hands-on involvement with charities whenever I've had a chance to make time for my exercise, whenever I've put away my stupid phone, I will call it stupid. I hate my phone. At, at times I love my phone, but at times I hate my phone because I catch myself deep in the phone and here's my cute little baby girl or my little boy or my wife or somebody's around me and I'm like, get the, pay attention to these people. hmm Truth is, sometimes I pay attention, and then they say something that bothers me, and I'm back to my phone. Back on your phone. But the point is, ladies and gentlemen, you should listen to this episode, share this episode. We're all looking for happiness. We have an expert on happiness. I hope you enjoy this episode. And then I hope you pick up her book, Happy Money. She's going to talk to you about uh, uh, using your money to make you happier. And she's going to be teaching us right now, some basic things we can do in our lives to make us happier. I hope this podcast makes you happier. I hope that uh, 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 um, you tell us about it. I hope that you reach out to us and reach out to Dr. Dunn and tell her how you feel, all right? If people want to talk to you, Caitlin, maybe from this kitten rescue, how do they reach you?
2: Please, at Y2Kate, K-A-I-T.
0: Tehran, how do they reach you?
1: I am Tehran all across the board.
0: And the way you reach me is at Maz Jobrani. Let me know what you think about the show. Uh, Let your friends know. We need more and more listeners. We need more and more viewers. So please let them know. Give us a good rating on YouTube. Give us a good rating on iTunes. Give us a good rating on Spotify. That will help us uh, rise in the numbers. And also, we are currently touring. I'm touring. Tehran is touring. I'm all over the world. I'm coming to the Middle East for some shows. Go to mazjobrani.com. Find those. Follow Tehran. He will let you know where he's going to be, when he's going to be there. And uh, other than that, guys, let's go learn about how to be happy with Dr. Elizabeth Dunn. Let's go back to school with Mazjobrani. Back to
1: school. Yeah.
0: All right, Professor Dunn, Dr. Dunn. Number one, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, we have uh, watched the TED Talk. We've read some of your articles. And I love what you talk about because I believe... I was just, talk- I was just having a conversation today with a friend of mine because we both have kids. And the question was, you know, what's success for your kids? And in my mind, success is being able to find some level of happiness. And uh, you study happiness.
3: I do. Yeah. I think it's for me, I think it's, uh, what everything else kind of boils down to is, you know, being successful for example, and sort of like having a great job or, you know, doing well in school. Like if it doesn't make you happy, what's, what's the value in it? Um, so it I, for me, it's the ultimate variable. That's why I've devoted my life to studying it.
0: I love it. I, I think you're doing a great job and I appreciate you for doing it. Now, As the listeners know, we start every show with a question from the kids, from my kids. Uh, This week, we've got Dara and Mila asking you a question. Just to remind people, Mila is now eight. She'll go first. And then Dara is 11. He'll go second. And then we'll go from there. Here we go.
1: Hi, Dr. Dunn. What makes you happy? Hi, Dr. Dunn. I have a question for you. What got you interested in studying happiness?
0: There you go. What makes the professor of happiness happy and what got you interested (laughs) in studying happiness?
3: Yeah, okay. So maybe I'll do what makes me happy first. Um, So, I mean, I do feel like as a happiness researcher, like I have a special responsibility to be happy because (laughs) like I can't pull it off like... Who can? Uh, so, and I definitely use some of the insights from my research in the way that I live my life. Um, so, for example, um, I, one of the insights from happiness research is that um, making time for exercise is mm. really valuable for happiness. Um, and so, one of the things that I do, even though I'm super busy, I have like a million things going on, I always make time, like right after this, I'm, uh, dashing off to Cycle to, like, do some spinning, um, and so that's one thing, kind of a little thing that I build into uh, my day. Another major insight from Happiness Research is that social relationships really matter, so making time for not only our loved ones, but even just to, like, chat with the people around us in our immediate environment, so, um, you know, not that I always succeed, I'm certainly not always, like, the perfect mother, perfect wife, perfect, you know, friend, but, like, I do try to um, place a lot of priority. On, on those social
0: relationships. Let me ask you a question on that because I travel a lot. And when I, got on a, when I get on an airplane and someone starts talking to me, it annoys me because I'm, mm. I'm just looking to sleep or watch my movies. Now, because yeah. part of me, when I read that, when you, one of the articles was talking about that, about you know we're all on our phones and we're not mm-hmm. communicating. And part of me was like, i'm kind of happy in my phone and not communicating with other people sometimes not always but sometimes so my question is you know how do you guys how do you guys gauge that how do you find out that someone becomes happier by like if i go to should i should i be going to when i go to coffee shops put my phone down and just start looking around and try to make eye contact and go hey how are you what's going on in your life like is that good for me like should i throw myself into the deep end like that
3: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, so none of these, you know, pieces of advice are meant to be used in every minute of your day, regardless of the circumstances that you're in. Right. So like, you know, I'm going to go exercise for an hour. Exercising is good for happiness. It doesn't mean I should quit my job and spend all day at the gym. Right. right. So similarly, this talking to strangers idea, it doesn't mean like every freaking stranger in your environment, you need to go like accost them and start a conversation with them. That is not what we're, what we're trying to argue. Instead, it's more like You know, sometimes we look at our phone because there's something really important we need to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I need to, you know, text my husband that I've got to have him pick up my kid at at school or something like that, right? I I don't want a stranger to come bother me when I'm, like, focused looking at my phone. The problem is that sometimes I'm just, like, screwing around. Like, I don't really care. I'm just, like, scrolling through Facebook or something, which actually research shows is not so good for our happiness. Sorry
0: to interrupt, but not sometimes. Most of the the time. (laughs) most I get caught up in this vicious cycle because I got Twitter... Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, and this might you might be able to speak to this a little bit. I get caught up in this vicious cycle. First of all, if you post something, I've tried to stop reading the comments because that just takes me down another uh, rabbit hole. But what I will do is, and I don't know what it is in my personality that makes me do this, but if I look at my inbox and like on Instagram, I have, I don't know how many of them are real. I don't know how many are fake, but like I have two hundred and eighty thousand followers. Mm-hmm. So out of those two hundred eighty thousand followers. Every once in a while from around the world, I will, you know, I'm getting, you know, hundreds of emails. And what you just said, I will be in a situation where I know that I should be looking at the person I'm with or talking to the mm-hmm. person I'm with, but I'm sitting there answering someone's question and Random people. I'm caught up yeah. in this vicious thing. Mm-hmm. So my question to you as you're explaining this thing of like, you know, sometimes you gotta do important stuff, what do you do? to I mean do you remind yourself actively and go hey hey dummy
2: yeah cuz i kind of black out like i'll come to and be like oh my god i've been scrolling instagram for 25 minutes it's and like, i didn't even remember opening the app it's, it's like you black out
0: it's like being at a casino with the slot yeah. machine you just keep pulling it <laughs> there's no windows there's no clock what's going on in our head doctor
3: yeah yeah <laughs> um so you know it's really easy to get sucked into things that don't make us happy right and so um You know, I've actually heard some people argue that like, oh, spending time on Facebook must be good for people's happiness because they do it so much, Mm -hmm. right? And that is not the reality, you Mm -hmm. know? Like we're often making these choices that aren't so good for our happiness. So I would say like identifying those situations and like when you find yourself responding to a random stranger on Instagram, like maybe just look around at like who's in your immediate environment. And is there somebody in that immediate environment that you could spend those few minutes like engaging with instead? Right. And so, you know, one thing we're trying to do in our current work is help people figure out what are the right situations to do that in. So sometimes you have to read other people around you because you also don't want to bother somebody else. Right. People are very concerned about getting in somebody else's way. And so um, uh, one of our latest lines of research is trying to help people send clear social signals. Because I think the problem with the phone is it's sends a signal of like, don't talk to me. Right? right. And sometimes it means that. But often if you're just like in your endless Instagram trap, like you're also telling other people, hey, don't talk to me. When really what you're doing isn't productive for your happiness, they're missing out on the joy of talking to you, you know, and everybody else could be better off.
0: Right. Absolutely. And and uh and let me ask you this in terms of um you know uh, uh what what Uh, What about somebody that, like, I mean, I guess there's times when social media can also, like you said, it it, it serves a purpose. But has research shown that it really, I mean, gosh, I've been with people and it annoys me when they're on their phone. And it's like this, Mm -hmm. there's this resentment that's building up in me, right? So has has research shown, I mean, uh, that that social media and, and all this phone stuff is just bad in many ways? And is it good in any way?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's complicated, right? So it's not like it's all 100% bad all the time. I think it's clearly bad when it sends a signal to those around you that, like, you know, stay out, right? Right. So that's that's the time where I'd really just stop and think. I don't think people stop to think about the signals they're sending others when they pull out their phone. Um, I was actually out Um, for um, my birthday dinner last weekend with a bunch of really close friends. And some of them had gotten that like Harry Potter app and they like really wanted to play it together. And the three of them like pulled out their phones and the rest of us were like, what the hell? You know, like they're just sending this signal. That's like, they could have been having a conversation about something that none of us were interested in and that would have been fine. But there's something about having that phone out that sends this really negative social signal. So, so that's the time that I think it's most important to put your phone away in terms of when is it good? So here's the place where it seems to be good is if you are using social media to actively engage with people in a in a positive way. So like you are going through Facebook and not just scrolling, 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 seeing how great everyone else's lives are, but you're like seeing that your friend from high school had a new baby and like congratulating her and like having this moment of engagement that you otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to experience. So that's where it can be valuable.
0: I hear that and and I love that you say that, but unfortunately I feel like most of the time, social media, especially something like Twitter, where political and all that stuff. I mean, I guess all of it's political. I, I would say probably from just... I- I'm not a scientist. I haven't done the research. But it feels like... Has anyone done a, done the research to say... You know 65 percent of the comments you see are negative on social media and 35 are what's the what's the ratio of negativity to positivity on social media do we know this
2: (laughs) i would say 99.9 to 0.1
0: that's what it feels like right i mean (laughs) is is there any research that tells us how much what the percentages are
3: you know i'm not sure but of course it's going to depend on how you construct your feed right so you could purposely construct a Twitter verse for yourself that would be like very positive comments but you know those it seems to be these sort of like more you know angry um, like high negative emotion tweets that do attract a lot of attention. So I personally I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter I think that it is um, not a platform that would have been designed by happiness researchers.
0: That's a, that might be a good point because the truth is I actually follow the Dalai Lama on Twitter. She froze. Is she, we got her still? Oh. Uh-oh. Are yeah, you there? Okay, there great. I'm here. Yeah, I, I, I follow the Dalai <laughs> Lama on Twitter, and uh, every once in a while he'll put out some really wise words. And then That's I think nice. people generally sometimes cuss him out. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> the Dalai Lama. That must be new. Yeah. Welcome to Twitter.
2: Wow. Welcome to Twitter, Dalai <laughs> Lama. I wonder if this also has, like, ties in. I think about this a lot where, like, my mom, for example, you know, misses the days when you were at work, you had a phone there, a landline phone, and so people could only contact you when you were at your desk. And then you left, and the phone stayed at the office, and you went home, and no one could contact you, and you had to limit your work to your work day from nine to five or whatever. And then you went home, and it was done. Well, and it went now, from that.
0: It went from that, by the way, to computers were the to same email. thing. Email, yeah. I remember when I would travel. I remember when I would land at the hotel. I'd be like, "You guys have a uh, an a, office, an internet cafe nearby? <laughs> yeah. I got to go to the internet cafe. You right. go to internet cafes,
2: right? And now I. Work in a kitchen from like eleven to seven thirty. And so I get home, and then I'm getting nonstop texts in the group text about things that are happening at work. I'm like, I'm not there. I can't help you. I can't do anything. And it's stressful, like through the night and into the morning. And I wish, there's, like, no way anymore. I feel like I'm constantly checking my phone to Dr.
0: answer emails. Dr. Dunn, what would you tell some young lady like uh, Caitlin here who's who's suffering all yeah. of this, this stuff? Like, what should Working she do?
2: Working 24-7 because emails are coming at me all
3: the time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on, you know, how much latitude you have to restructure your life. But if you had the ability, you know, with the constraints of of the requirements of your work to like sign out of that group text for like the time that you're not at work. I mean, that is clearly what I would advise, you know, in in one experiment that we did, we brought people into a cafe and we had them have dinner with um, uh, friends or family members. And either we said, everyone, put your phones away or we had them all have their phones out on the table. And, you know, people didn't use their phones a ton. It was about 11% of the time when they had their phones out, they ended up looking at their phones. But still, like, that was enough to significantly decrease the enjoyment that they got out of this really important activity of like spending time having dinner out with friends or family. So, you know, if you're letting your phone or if the, you know, current setup of your work life is, is such that your phone is like impinging on those really valuable times, you know, that's where I'd say it's like, it's worth kind of stopping and going, like, wait, how can I restructure this? And if you're suffering that, probably a lot of your your coworkers are too. So you yes. could do everybody a favor, not just increase your own happiness, but increase your colleagues' happiness by saying, like, wait, can we rethink how we're doing this group text?
0: Because uh, there's yeah. actually restaurants now. I read this in one of the, in one of the headlines that was saying that. uh, they make you put your phone away, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty much like uh, you know, along the lines of what we did, and that's su- that suggests you know, our, our our work suggests that's a pretty good strategy for you know, it's a free way to increase people's enjoyment of a meal out with friends. Because The
1: McDonald's at Com- in Compton does that, where you have to put your phone away. The McDonald's, at, or they rob McDonald's. You. I or mean, they, you. it's very yeah, similar. Yeah. Yeah. Te- that's Tehran, by the way. Hi, Hi, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I I actually like sometimes my wife and I now. We, we, there's, gosh, there's the problem is there's so much coming at you so so we will now find our shows that we want to watch mm. so we're currently watching succession and fleabag and what have you but once in a while when we're watching we'll have the t- the phone near us and then whatever one of us will get on or start looking at something or researching one of the one of the characters or something and i feel i get upset when the phone comes out and i i mean i do it sometimes too so mm. it's it, even watching tv which is a passive activity that you're doing with somebody, you're not talking to them, but at least you feel like you're connected a little bit. Mm -hmm. When that phone gets in the way, it just uh, you're right. I think But that's
1: not fair. What what we're doing is Every time a new technology comes, we always blame the tech. We missed the yesterday. When cars came, traffic increased our stress. When the phone, the telephone, the landline came, mm. what did people do before then? Then you weren't contacted at all, and now you have this. Telegram. So there's an entire new generation that's learning to cope with that, I believe. And even though Caitlin is the outlier in the millennial situation, <laughs> most millennials are very good at it being able to interact and use their phone
0: to interact. You are right. Can but I, I disagree? Th- yeah, go, please. I, mean, I, was, I was coming yeah. to you because I knew you had it. Go, yeah.
3: get them. I mean, our studies are usually disproportionately, like, millennial heavy. And so we don't see them rocking this situation. Like, they show the same problems that older folks do of, like – you know, being feeling this sense of distraction from their phones that undermines their enjoyment when they're with others. So they may feel like, what I think is so interesting is that often when people are doing something on their phones, like a dinner or whatever, it doesn't feel like a big deal, right? It's like, oh, I'm just like quickly looking at this thing. Right? And each little time may not matter that much. But what we see is that when we like manipulate this in experiments, it actually does add up to a measurable cost. Now, is it destroying social life as we know it? No way. Like, you know, hanging out with your friends is still fun. What we see, though, is that it does actually make a difference, even though it—even if it's small, right? It's it's chipping away at people's enjoyment a little bit, it, it, even for millennials.
0: I agree 100% because I will tell you, by the way, I'm taking notes throughout because we use these notes later, so I'm not ignoring you. I'm paying attention to you. <laughs> um, I figured you were
3: writing you're the great doodling. American Novel. Yeah. 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 no,
0: no <laughs> I, I, I agree 100% because, Tehran, what you're saying, yes, we're all capable of, I mean, I've seen, like you said, you go to a table and you see, you know, uh, at dinner a bunch of millennials or even now adults are sitting there they're on their phone and they're having a conversation they're 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 managing but i think what you know dr dunn studies with happiness i do believe that that this uh causes our human interaction to decrease and i do see it in a lot of these millennials when you see them and you talk to them they just they seem more miserable to me yeah not that i was super gregarious, but we used to have to interact. You used, I mean, you know, sports is a beautiful thing. The reason I love sports is because when you're playing sports, you can't be on your phone. You got to be talking smack. You got to be thinking about the game. You got to be present. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sports is great. Uh, uh, Being in a, in a play or some, some, this, this right here, yeah, this cooking, some things that involve, and then the same thing, you take that now to your interaction with your kids. Mm -hmm. And when those things aren't around, like there's been times when, I've been sitting at the tennis courts, kids are taking tennis lessons, and I'm on my phone using it as time to be on my phone. And then I look around, I go, wait a minute, the young one isn't playing, let me put my phone down and just go hit the ball with her. And I'm, mm. I'm out there, I'm like, what was I doing 10 minutes ago? I was in this deep hole of this stupid yeah. thing.
2: Yeah, well, I think two things. I've read that like the Silicon Valley guys or whatever, they don't let their kids use the technology that they invent because it has created this. sure
1: but they're billionaires they don't have jobs yeah, that's fair like, they
2: but don't... i think also i've read <laughs> that's
1: not fair yeah all <laughs> they, right they don't let their kids eat gluten either like yeah. there are certain things that they don't have There's they have the inter- privilege that's that. privilege
2: but you do it's like i do think people are managing but then you read these articles about like gen z is the first generation where like in massive numbers, like kids aren't hanging out with their friends because they're connected on Snapchat. And I see that with my nieces. Even 15. better, I used
1: to only get in trouble but with my the friends.
2: They're actually saying that it's good in some ways and bad. It's bad for socialization, but also, like, kids aren't having sex or like doing drugs or whatever cuz no one's hanging yeah, out and with the friends anymore but they're not but getting imp- more importantly
0: to what we're talking about the happiness yeah. i and sex I think, and drugs are happiness yes, yeah. yes, yes. no i think i think the lack of interaction and I, yeah. I, lo- I i love that you guys uh have studied and continue to study this stuff and and just to keep going and pivoting a little bit what led you the second question my son asked what got you to this point where i mean how does a, a, a doctor a phd student go i want to study happiness like what what took you down this path i mean because part of it is by the way our listeners that are listening right now they don't even know this is an option Mm. because again you know i come from an immigrant background and for us the options are lawyer doctor engineer that's it but i don't think if you talk to uh one of these kids from the iranian american community they would say oh yeah i want to grow up and study happiness like they don't even know that's a thing so how does that happen
3: yeah. It's a great job. I highly recommend it. Um, so, uh, so when I was an undergraduate, I worked with a professor named Dan Gilbert who wrote a book called stumbling on happiness. Um, and he like s- kind of sucked me into the world of happiness research and I got very curious about it. So for me, it was, I was lucky to have a mentor who was just incredibly, um, caring and helpful. And really when I was just like, so young and so naive, he like took me into his like amazing lab and like let me, you know, get my hands dirty with trying out like being involved in the science. And I, I basically fell in love with it and decided to go do my PhD. Um, which again sounds like really fancy, I think. So when people hear PhD, they're like, oh wow. But it's not that big a deal. Like you just go and like, you know, you take classes and you do research and you read a lot of stuff and whatever. And then you have this degree, and then like um, you know, I-, I would kind of explore other things. So one of the one of the things that I love about being a professor is that I'm just allowed to s- study whatever I, I find interesting.
0: I'm sorry, we lost so you there. Yeah, yeah. We, we we lost like, the connect. Oh. We we lost the connection. You said uh, what? Right when you're about to say that, everything like, you find is okay. like, One of the best everything. things I do is like what the okay. So let's try that again. Go ahead, as a professor. <laughs> Wait, sorry,
3: what was that? Exactly. You were saying one I, of the
0: great see? things that I can do as a professor is I can get. Oh to, yeah, yeah, sure.
3: So one of the things I really appreciate about being a professor is that. I can study whatever I want. So if I get bored with happiness tomorrow, I could like, I don't know, study attitudes toward gluten or whatever, you know, like, I just have this freedom to explore my own interests, which I feel like is what kids kind of start out with. Mm -hmm. You know, Kids start out just being like naturally curious. And so I feel like I have the dream job of just being able to pursue that curiosity. Um, And for me, I I have gone down other routes, like I have a paper on um, getting people to prepare for earthquakes. Um, But uh, I always kind of go back to happiness because for me, that's like what all ultimately funnels down to is like wait is this actually going to make me happy
0: you know what one of the things you just said which is again on this, on this show we try to find learning moments uh, for back to school I think one of the things you, you said that we haven't really touched on a lot is if you want to do something find a good mentor if mm. you find a good mentor 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 because it's I, I think that that is something that we don't put enough emphasis on and I always try to Uh, um, tell people like when looking back on my years as a kid I remember there's certain teachers that led me down this path and encouraged me down the path so you Mm -hmm. finding that mentor was big for you in your in your life and I think that that we are here because of that
3: absolutely and you know I think we shouldn't underestimate um, how just how big a difference it can make to have somebody who looks out for you and actually, you know, that when I look back on it, I'm just blown away by the amount of time that um, Dan Gilbert gave me as an undergraduate to help spark my interest in the field.
0: Now, listen, the other thing that you did in your, your TED Talk that you did, you're talking about happiness again, it was, it was about giving. And this is very interesting because I, I personally uh, donate all the time when somebody will hit me up and say oh i'm running a race for whatever oh here's a couple hundred bucks whatever i just i always just do it i automatically go okay go 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 you know because also part of it here is it's a tax write-off right it's like oh great i'm helping people out and it's a tax write-off and it's fantastic but you go one step further and tell us a little bit about that story of the syrian refugees and what happened and then your conclusions on on giving
3: yeah so i had been giving i think probably much the same way that you're describing of just like oh sure like here's the here let me donate 200 bucks to the run for whatever um and i i honestly didn't find it that satisfying um and yet in my research lab what i was seeing is that like you know, on average, people seem to experience a real joy of giving to others. So I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, how come I am not getting this joy of giving? Um, And, you know, it was, as I was sort of wrestling with these ideas, it was around that time that the Syrian refugee crisis was um, really uh, just every, you know, hitting its peak. It was being covered all over the place. And I I wanted to help and I gave some donations to, you know, the United Nations, Uh, refugee fund and so forth. But then I found out that in in Canada, there's this amazing program called the Group of Five, where any five Canadians can privately sponsor a family of refugees um, to come to Canada. And what's so awesome about this program is that basically, you have to raise enough money to support the family for their first year in Canada. And then they like literally get on a plane to your city and you go meet them at the airport. And so,
0: how much How much is that? Like, I mean, is that a uh, hundred grand? Is that, what is that? How much, is, just for people listening, like how much would they need to raise?
3: Yeah, so it depends on the size of your family. Um, so, and I think also on the, the location, um, but it, it was around $40,000. Um, and, you know, we raised that money in a couple of weeks. Like once people heard we were doing this, you know, they were like, oh yeah, like I want to, I want to be part of this. I want to help with this. Um, and in some ways raising the money was the easy part. And then came all of the, just like figuring out how to do the whole thing. And then when they arrived, like it was, such an amazing moment you know going to meet them at the airport and taking them to their new home and then it's like okay like we need to help them do all the things that you have to do if you move to a brand new country but like they don't speak any English you know we didn't speak their language like it was just a lot of like all right let's figure this out and it was like a giant puzzle Um, and luckily one thing that I I also think is so cool about this program is that you're not allowed to do it on your own so um, we instead of like a group of five we actually partnered with a community organization and had this group of about 25 people so it was me and like a whole bunch of my friends this was certainly not me doing by myself that would have been impossible it was like me with a bunch of my close friends and like I really got to see all of their strengths. Like one of, you know, we had some trouble with a customs official and like one of my friend's staff, who's like a no-nonsense nurse, like went to that customs person and was like, you need to fix this, like huh. now, right? Like, and I was like, wow, like, you know, you just, I just like renewed my appreciation for what all my friends were capable of doing as well. Um, and yeah, and, and we basically got to see the family flourish. Like we got to see the kids start school Um, The youngest kid our second youngest kid has recently been identified as gifted and he probably wouldn't have even been able to attend school, um, you know, back where he was. So it's, it's just been an incredible experience and really the opposite end of the spectrum of donating 200 bucks to the run for whatever.
0: Aww. What's beautiful about that story is, uh, you, you know, you got your hands dirty, like not, not to say like dirty in terms of the, the what you were doing, but like you got into it. You didn't just like you said, you didn't just
2: write a check, or-
0: write a check. <laughs> it's like, OK, you want to help the homeless go down and actually feed the homeless. You want to help the refugees sponsor the refugee, like get in there. And I love the fact the community thing is amazing, because as you said, I think it makes you appreciate your friends, because you come together, you step up, and you just, you get it done, and I love that, and I love that Canada has that program.
1: Yeah, this is the beauty of But that's because Canada. they got it done. What would have happened if their friend, one friend was like, uh,
0: I don't know. Well, that happened And then you'd be like, I it, hate you, Nancy. What, huh. Did that, out of 25 people, did anybody drop the ball, and what was the, what was the reaction?
3: Uh, I mean, like, some people moved to a new city and, like, couldn't help anymore. <laughs> like, okay, here's an example. Of one of my friends, she got really busy with other stuff, and, like, couldn't be that involved after they arrived. but before they arrived, she found them a place to live, which in Vancouver is like the holy friggin Grail yeah, you know yeah. and so I'm like, cool like go off and do the other things you need to do. like you solved the hardest you know part of the puzzle, which is like getting them a house. Um, and so I, like I love and respect her for that and that has ended up contributing to some of the new things that she's doing. So I don't know. I, I think like everybody had their part to play.
0: I think most people that take on something like this have this idea, and they're, they're, you, you're, you're looking to help. You're looking for happiness because it makes you happy, and so these are people that are stepping up. It's not some lazy dude who's like, "All right, whatever, yeah. I'll take out the garbage," and it's also not some like cutthroat, you know, business guy who's like, "I'm going to minimize the the numbers, Donald Trump." Uh, he's not a business <laughs> you, guy. You have. He's an a idiot. Sk- I you always work a in. Business guy I always work <laughs> a bit. You know skill. what it is? Because know I'm really I'm envious and jealous that you guys have this program, and we are going the opposite way in America. Yeah. We are we are decreasing the number of refugees that are allowed to come here, and we've been taught to fear refugees, mm-hmm. because God forbid, group of five. That means group of five is going to allow uh, a family to come in who's going to come and uh, terrorize this country. Meanwhile, right. gifted people, kids are coming from Syria into Canada. Uh, Can you guys guys sponsor
1: me? Can I get in on this? (laughs) Yeah, can we come to Canada? I I would love to live. What other countries
0: are doing this right now, where they're getting, where they're, where they're incentivizing their citizens? I mean, there's no really incentive, is there? I mean, it's like the incentive is just do good, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the incentive is that you actually get to change a family's life in a way that you get to see like up close and personal, and that's all the incentive you really need. Like, Canada has been like they can barely process in time, like the number of of Canadians that want want to do this there's so many people stepping up and saying like yeah I want to be involved in this program that like the bureaucrats are struggling to keep up Um, so um, I think there's just that that inherent demand because it does speak to this like the better angels of our nature I think which is just this desire to help others so Canada was the first country to start this Um, other countries like the UK and Australia um, are starting up similar programs it doesn't seem like it's on the near horizon in the United States but you know things can change fast right Right. um so impeachment <clears throat> go on yeah, yeah so um <laughs> And, and, you know, actually, uh, one thing that I read that amazed me, I mean, this kind of blows the mind, but apparently Canada settled more refugees last year than any other country in the world. And like, we're not a big country, you know, so if we can do that, like this program, you know, combined with the other programs that, that Canada has for settling refugees, you know, can make a massive difference. So it really just gives me hope that like if we and again, this isn't like a random you know, um, giving opportunity that just like happened to work. Like it has all of the key ingredients that I think make giving feel good. And so if you can build, regardless of it, whether it's settling refugees or, you know, feeding the homeless or cutting back on gun violence, if you can build in these key ingredients, I think you can create like really powerful um, movements.
0: And you had some advice also for people who are working with charities and you said you did a part of the study was you showed you know would you rather give to unicef or to this other organization that is providing nets to stop malaria spreading in certain parts of the world and you said to that if you're working with a charity you know as a gift to people that donate don't send them a pen don't send them a mug but rather show them a real effect and you know a real change that they've made in this case the syrian refugees I've experienced that myself. I've been to, I've been to uh, charities and, and been involved where they're raising money for a scholarship for a, for a student to go to college and they have the student there. And when you mm-hmm. see, or, you know, the student that, that was a beneficiary from the year before, when you see that student, you go, oh, wow, our money oh. is actually doing something. Whereas, like you just said, when you get that email and it says, you know, send money for this blood drive or whatever, you go, okay, here's my money. And you don't think twice about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, what what what's what what should charities do? What should we do as people who sometimes try to organize? You know, as comedians, we're always organizing fundraisers. How do I how do I motivate people to come to my fundraisers? How do I motivate them to to want to give at the fundraisers?
3: Mm, yeah, I mean, I think you know you can use all sorts of like nefarious strategies to get people to give but if you want them to actually have a rewarding giving experience which i think is the best way to promote sustainable giving then i think you know can you can you help them experience a real sense of connection with the the people or the cause that they're trying to help um can you give them a genuine window into the impact that they're actually having. And so just like another example of that, that I also brought up in the TED Talk is there's this great organization in Vancouver where um, they basically, you you make a, as part of a company or a group of individuals, we just did this for my sister-in-law's birthday, um, you raise around $5,000 and then you go down to this restaurant um, and it's like a real nice cool diner in the sort of um, one of the poorest neighborhoods um, in Canada. And we go down there and, you know, not only do we give the money, but we actually get to make dinner for um, the people who are coming in to um, get a meal. And there there are these people that, you know, don't necessarily get to eat out at a restaurant very often, but they get to come in have this, like, lovely three-course meal where they're treated with dignity and respect by people who are happy to be there helping them. And I think for the the donors, it's this really great opportunity to, um, you know, not only, like, be – helping the, the the people, but also to get to, like, talk to them, you know? So you realize, oh, these are, like, actual individual people with interesting stories. I was just, you know, down there a couple weeks ago for my sister-in-law's birthday, and, like, we, I spoke with this guy for a while who had an incredible knowledge of Canadian history. Like, I feel like I don't know anywhere near enough about Canadian history after talking to this guy, like he schooled me. Um, I, meanwhile, and I also learned how to work a soda stream cause I was working the bar. So I also got some knowledge out of it, but it was like a very um, meaningful experience that like sticks in my head and just pops back into my mind the way that like quickly writing a check does not Although, you know, writing a check was part of it. They didn't stop there. Right, they also gave, provided this opportunity for connection.
0: You know, this reminds me. There's actually a great charity here in LA. It's called Mary's List. There's a lady, lady, lady named Miriam uh, White Whitehall Whitewall. I forget her last name right now, but Mary, Mary. We call it. She goes as Mary, and I don't know if you've heard of uh, M I R Y M I R Y Mary's List. I don't know if you've heard about this, but she, uh, some some Syrian refugees had come to uh, Southern California, and a friend of hers contacted her and said, "Hey, do you have?" I know you have young kids do you have any of the old stuff that's left over from the kids because we have this new Syrian refugee family we need, we need stuff for the kids so she put out something on Facebook saying does anybody have I don't know whatever it was like extra car seats or whatever strollers and then the community started helping. And then she realized, wow, this could be bigger. So she created Mary's List, and now she helps refugees from around the world settle in. One of the things that they do is they get the refugee family, like a Syrian refugee family, and you can sponsor a dinner. They will come and cater it, and they will you know, earn money for the family, and you expose them, and you get to meet them, and you expose them to your friends. So it's similar, taking your Syrian refugee example, with the homeless feeding example, yeah. and should they put it together. So it's a beautiful thing.
1: Does this mean that the only way you can be happy is if you're middle class or up? Because it doesn't seem that if you are not socioeconomically able to do a lot of these things, time-wise, money-wise, you're the person in that position to begin with, then you are two steps removed from the happiness that you're discussing.
3: Yeah, so I kind of shared that um, assumption uh, when we first started doing this research that like maybe this is like a source of happiness of giving to others, giving money to others, that's really limited to people who have a fair bit of disposable income. And so what we ended up doing was actually conducting studies around the world, um, even in places where people were really struggling to meet their own basic needs. So we teamed up with local researchers in South Africa, in Uganda, um, in other parts of the world, and basically what we see is that um, even when people are struggling to meet their own basic needs, they still help others and they still experience this joy from doing it. So like people find a way, you know, to take what little they have And like still give some of it I mean a really remarkable thing is that people with lower incomes actually give a higher percentage of their incomes than people with um, high incomes so this isn't something that seems to be limited to just like a small or you know particularly privileged sliver of the population
0: so listen here's my question so uh, to be happy put away the phone more more uh, social interaction with those around you be present try to interact, give, don't just give, don't just write a check, but dive deep, get in. All right. Mm -hmm. What are some other things that our listeners could sit there and go, you said sport, you said exercise. Exercise is a great example because we always find ways to get an excuse to get out of that exercise. And yet when we do the exercise, we walk away going like, I am ready for the Olympics. I'm gonna do that every day. By just, the way, everything
1: yeah. you just said on the list makes me unhappy. I just want to let you know that you don't right like now. giving, <laughs> giving, getting off the phone, exercising. Just
0: no, man. I've seen you at the <laughs> at the Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know, the Jamie Masada, who's the laugh, uh, owner of the comedy, uh, the Laugh Factory in Los Angeles, does a Thanksgiving and Christmas feeding the homeless, feeding those who need who have need in the community, and he gives free shows, and it goes. Uh, like three or four shows on on each one of those, uh, you know, days. And Tehran is there all day long. I come with my kids. Miserable. For one session. (laughs) You have to drag them in there. Free turkey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, but I I think, you know, it's, it's such a great environment when that happens. And so, yeah, so once again, we got get off your phone. Uh, give get 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 into it what are some other things you said exercise what are some other things that people can do simple things you can do in your day-to-day life from your research that you found that will help people be happier maybe move mm.
3: to canada it sounds
2: move
0: to canada sounds like a really <laughs> good <one.
3: laughs>
0: Not during the winter. Uh,
3: well another thing that we've looked at um is this idea of time affluence mm. so many of us are so busy just kind of rushing around doing all the things where we feel like we have to do that um it's hard to really appreciate any of them um, So uh, what we see in our research is that uh, people who feel like they just haven't had time in life to do the things that are important to them are less happy. And we've also tried to look at strategies for um, helping people create more time affluence for themselves. So sometimes this can mean a trade-off between time and money, like being willing. What we see, for example, is uh, we studied people who, students who are graduating from the University of British Columbia, And we ask them just one question, which basically captures whether they prioritize time or prioritize money. And what we see is that students who graduate from university prioritizing time over money end up happier a year after graduation compared to those who leave our campus prioritizing money over time.
0: What's the question? I'm curious, what is the question that you ask them?
3: Oh, um, I can... Pull it up and read it to you, but it's like it's like a whole little paragraph. It's basically okay. like it's yeah. It describes like these two people. It's along the lines of like um, Tina values her time more than her money. Um, she'd rather uh, trade some of her money to have more time, and then we describe this woman Maggie, who's like. Prioritizes money over time, um, and then we say, "Are you more like Tina or more like Maggie?" Mm-hmm. Um, and this strategy of asking, like, which person you're more like, basically has been shown to uh, help people be like less tempted to respond in just a socially desirable way because they can like affiliate with either person. We sort of normalize either response, and we see that the population in the United States is like pretty split down the middle in how they answer this question. So, like, you know, half of North America resonates with Tina, prioritizing time, half of um, uh, the North America, you know, more more resonates with prioritizing uh, money. So, uh, and and this doesn't seem to be about just socioeconomic status. It's not just like, oh, rich people have the luxury of prioritizing money or prioritizing time and poor people need money. So they prioritize money. Doesn't, that doesn't seem to be like the driving It just seems to be people kind of, at least by the time they're graduating from, you know, university, they're leaving with like one of these as being a little bit more their priority. And it turns out that like, it's kind of like a crystal ball into their future. Like if you're walking out of campus, you know, on graduation day, prioritizing money, you might not be quite as well off in terms of happiness as people who prioritize time. So, you know, can we change that? I don't know. But like, my seven-year-old is obsessed with money right now. And I'm like, Buddy, let's talk about time. Like, let's think about how we spend our time, you know?
1: So your seven year old um, is about to be a future billionaire CEO and you're trying to dissuade him. So I'm like, dude, slow down. Dude.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny. Would you say that there's uh is that is that a thing is that human nature? Is that capitalism? Is that I mean, are there other countries? Always Scandinavia
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, that are Scandinavia. happier, that are that aren't that are prioritizing time, <laughs> that are meditating. Denmark. Who are these people?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating question. So we've only looked at it um, within um, North America and Europe, um, and we haven't looked you know, comparing representative samples across different countries, but I have this like hunch that like, if we were to try to predict what countries will become happier as they become richer, I think it's countries that like prioritize time, that like use their growing, you know, economic freedoms to create more time for their people rather than just sort of like making sure everybody has more money. And I wanna be clear, money matters, right? Like money, richer countries are happier, richer people are happier. It's not that money doesn't matter. It's just that we can get caught up in this like cycle of you know wanting more money at the expense of time. So people I would can say,
0: start. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not that richer people are happier. It's just that you have like you, you, certain certain responsibilities are taken care of: your rent, your food, and all that, right? Or is it that they're actually happier?
3: They're actually
0: happier. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> something I like. Really? Something I like because <laughs> I because listen, my philosophy is: I was just in Jakarta, and 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 Jakarta's a poor. Uh, city and and the country itself uh, indonesia is a relatively poor country but it seemed to me because like it was such chaos and i saw these families with babies and toddlers and grandparents and all on their scooter no helmets just going along getting it done no big deal meanwhile over here in this very wealthy country that we live in i feel like your kid walks out the door and you're like, you don't have a helmet on, don't go out, don't out. Because you have something on. to live for here. No, but but my point, but uh, no, but to me, it seemed like they were happier because they weren't as high strung as we are.
3: Hmm. Yeah, okay, so money does more than one thing, right? So money does a lot of good things for our happiness. So like it gives us security, it gives us good healthcare, it gives us good food, it gives us a lot of options, right? Um. But it also can end up, um, creating time stress so there is evidence that the more money you make the more pressed for time you feel in fact there's experiments where you just bring students into the lab and like make their time be worth a lot of money and they suddenly are like oh my god I don't have enough time to do everything I'm supposed to do even though they've just been asked to do the same stuff as other people that aren't getting paid as much or aren't being told that their time money is that their time is worth um, so much money so there's there does seem to be this kind of like tension between Um, financial affluence and time affluence, right? And so ideally what you wanna do to like maximize your happiness is like have the good side of money without the bad side of money. And so part of that is like rethinking how you use money. So traditionally researchers have focused on the, like how much money do you have? How happy are you? And what we've tried to argue is it's not just about how much you have, it's like, what do you do with it? Money Mm. is an opportunity for happiness, but it's an opportunity many people squander.
0: Mm. So if you have very little money and you buy some ice cream, you're going to be happy. And if you have a lot of money and you uh, buy a car that's really nice, but now you're worried that the car is going to get scratched. Well, you messed up, dum-dum. You became more anxious. You should have bought the ice cream and just eaten it and been happy with it.
3: Well, interestingly, and you know, I don't know if like ice cream is a demonstrated route toward happiness, um, but. Uh, uh, hello. Well, yeah, I don't is. know about that. <laughs> <laughs> you, guys, you guys have the data. Yeah. No, so like what we see in our work is that what's important is to like have things be treats, like be able to value them. So if like, if you get ice cream every single day and you stop paying attention to it, mm. it, it might not be that good for you. If it's like a treat, where like for my seven year old, we, we let him have ice cream once a week. So because he's like ice cream underprivileged, you know, it's like a big deal to him. Um, and so that's one thing that we try to do is like, think about just, you know, keeping special things special, right? And similarly, with, you know, the problem with cars is that they tend not to be treats. If you drive your car every single day, you stop noticing all of the like, Amazing features that captivated your attention on the test drive. And so if we can take those things and like turn them back into treats or give up the things that we've just totally gotten used to and started taking for granted, mm. that can be a pretty good strategy for promoting happy. That's
0: how I feel with uh, like with LaCroix, because when LaCroix first started, I was like, Oh my god, this zero calories and flavor. Wow. Mm. Then we would buy like, you know, <laughs> cases and cases. I'm like, ah, oh, it's here all the time. I don't need any more LaCroix.
1: <laughs> did you just say LaCroix? LaCroix?
0: Did I did say LaCroix. A
1: shout out to our sponsor, LaCroix. Listen, what, yeah, sponsor we should, us, they should please. be sponsoring they should this, be. Right. Dr.
0: True. Dunn, listen, we're going to start uh, wrapping it up because I know you got to go. Um, we're just going to go around the table real quickly, find out what we've learned. Caitlin, Caitlin what have you learned today?
2: Um, I learned a ton. I mean, I loved when you said that um, getting a Ph.D. is not a big deal. Because um, it was funny, but actually, I think there's a good lesson in there, which is like if you take it one day at a time, and like you said, it's just taking classes and finding mentors and whatever, it can be achievable to you. So I think there's a bigger lesson in there.
0: By the way, Doctor Dunn, you might have just inspired Caitlin to go get her. I'm PhD. going back to
3: school
2: because
0: she's a little a, lost. She's at, looking college. She's looking for things to do. So well, you might Well, you know, be
3: her- our lab is taking applications. Oh. Closing deadline is December 15th. I'm gonna come back and be Doctor Kate. <laughs>
0: Start doing it, Doctor Kate. T, what did you learn?
1: Money makes you happy, especially if you know where to shop. That's almost word mm. for word what she said. Almost word for
0: word. All right. Okay. He wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, I learned to put, put away the phone. Mm. And also, I think you've inspired me to, to do one of those dinners with Mary's List because I think it's good to, to, to do it. I want to I I feel it. I want to be there. Um, so I want our listeners to let us know what they learned. I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Dunn for joining us. How do people reach out to you? How do they, uh, read more? Do you, what are the books that you have that they can find and, and just tell us a little bit about where they find you?
3: Sure. I have a book called Happy Money that distills, you know, it'll tell you where to shop uh, or more <laughs> more broadly, how, how to shop, how to use your money in happier ways. Um, I, I do have a TED Talk where I share um, in more detail some of the stories I touched on today. Um, and you can find all of my um, research papers um, at my website, which is, uh, if you just Google Elizabeth Dunn, it pops up pretty quick. Um, and I'm on Twitter at... Um,
0: what is, oh, at Dun Happy Lab. At D-U-N-N Happy Lab? Yeah. I hope they don't send you negative comments. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> oh, that's
3: okay. I but what if that makes them, them happy?
0: I'm telling you, the Dalai Lama, he's getting <clears throat> ne- it's ridiculous. Yeah. People no are just <laughs> a lot of stupid people out there. People, just <laughs> stop being stupid and be happy. Right? Can we agree to that? Yeah. Send oh, yeah. Dr. Dunn some good positive messages from this episode, you guys. Dr. Dunn, I want to thank you for coming and being a part of this show and being on Back to School with Maz Giobrani. Thank you.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Back to school. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you're having fun and we hope you're learning something. So make sure to let your friends know, share it on iTunes, share the clips from YouTube, just get it out there, however you're listening, let your friends know to tune in to Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Back
1: to school.